0: Welcome to three, a show about Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic and part of the Tennis Channel podcast network. I'm Gil Gross with Joel Drucker and Amy Lundy. Novak Djokovic has given his first interview since the saga in Australia, just ahead of his return to the tennis court in 2022, which will occur in Dubai. And uh, lots to unpack uh, out of this BBC exclusive But I think the big headline, the one kind of moment that has been distributed and picked up on is when Novak was asked, are you willing to sacrifice becoming the greatest player of all time uh, for this decision to not take the vaccine? Djokovic answered in the affirmative. Yes, I am. Uh, I mean, Amy, what is your level of, of surprise at that?
2: Am I surprised? No. It's just that this was deeply mysterious to me. I did not know, ultimately, where he stood on this. And I've been thinking about it for about a year. What was more important to Novak, these convictions that he had around this libertarian concept of, I say what I put in my body, or was winning and and achieving and, and success within the sport that means so much to him, which of those two things was more important? And I honestly did not know. I mean, sometimes I have a feeling about something and I remember when we talked about this last October when it might be on the horizon, I just couldn't get a handle on the answer. Well, now we know and it feels good. It feels good to know. Um, that being said, um, I'm sure that we all have, you know, differing feelings about what that looks like in his career.
0: Well, I've actually had friends reach out to me after Nadal won the Australian open, a lot of casual non tennis insider friends. And they say, oh, well now Novak's going to, going to take the shot, right? He surely, he sees this and it's going to entice him to take the vaccine. And my response was always I'm pretty sure no, because Novak isn't going to panic about this slam race. I think he Mm -hmm. has a lot of confidence in his longevity. His body isn't breaking down and he could be wrong about this. I'm not, you know, only time will tell, but I'm pretty sure Novak looks at his career and says, yeah, in 2024, I'm still going to be playing at an elite level, winning the biggest tournaments in the sport. And you know what? He probably thinks that Rafa and Roger certainly aren't.
1: I admire Novak for taking a stand and saying that he's willing to pay that price. Um, The outcome stuff down the road, I think is mysterious and intriguing, but, uh, and it's funny that someone asked, are you willing to pass up being the greatest player of all time? And and based on what, what, who, who knows what the great, who knows who the greatest player of all time is, but the slam race thing, that is interesting that he said he's willing to skip majors to do that. I commend him for that, for taking a stand. I mean, that's pretty admirable for his stand and his belief. The tennis impact. That's 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 a lot of dialogue.
2: And I think I'm that's just. I, I, I'm sorry, Gil, I'm just struck by what a big story this is. I mean, I've been in sports journalism for over 25 years and I've covered a lot of different sports and a lot of different stories. And I was trying to think of comparable ones that ha- dealt with this cross section of what's going on in the world and, and society and personal convictions and, you know, I thought about like Muhammad Ali, conscientious objector. And I also thought about when Michael Jordan just decided to play baseball for a while. I mean, these are huge stories. And as a journalist, I feel kind of privileged to be able to explore it and comment on it.
1: Well, this is a whole world of a pandemic is something we've never seen in our in our lifetime like this. And so and in international sports, so athlete a single athlete traveling across countries though it also shows yet again tennis makes its biggest crossover news when these kind of things happen but again maybe only tennis is most equipped to do this because these things cross borders and these athletes play in all different countries and that's different than let's say a, an American basketball player or a, mostly confined to his country and so this type of thing might not have surfaced you uh, know uh, in, in a single nation sport so it is it is interesting, and also, um, yes, yeah, says a lot about certain the power of these individuals, and that's an, that's a thing that tennis always has going for is that individuals take their stands in certain kind of ways.
0: Yeah, and it it feels like a lot of people appreciate that Novak is has stayed true to his convictions and uh, is doing what he feels is best for his body, despite the external. Um, incentives to, to not do that because life is easier if you take the shot, um, especially on the ATP tour. We, and we now know that, um, 99 out of the top 100, um, have been vaccinated at this point. And I think, uh, people do appreciate Novak's, um, Novak stand. I think if you're on the other side of things and you can not understand his decision-making, then he's stubborn. So that seems to be the word used against him is stubborn. And then, uh, you know, man of integrity, man who who uh, doesn't let kind of these external factors affect the the personal wills. I think that's the side of, uh, of support for Novak. Do you think I kind of have that description right? Amy? I like
1: that. I think that's a pretty good uh, spectrum you identified, Gil, of whether it's integrity, whether it's stubborn, whether both are true, but at least true to what he believes. And he made it clear. He also made it clear that he's not an anti-vaxxer. He said that too. He said you know, that he acknowledges people's right to do that too. So he's making his choice.
2: Yeah, I thought that was teased out pretty well. And overall, I thought Novak acquitted himself well, and it was a good idea to do the interview to set the record straight and to be able to talk directly to people. I thought the interviewer did a really nice job and the piece that is sort of still hanging out there that I think a lot of people are struggling struggling with and the interviewer hit on it, it's the common good piece. If you believe that taking the vaccine helps the world and is better for the common good, then you're more apt to take it. It seems like Novak is saying that he needs more information on that or he's not sure about that. He he couldn't quite bring across, you know, how he squares with that common good aspect versus the individual.
1: So Reg gets to the core of a lot of the tennis and democracy dilemma of self and society and what he chooses to do with his body. But the fact that he's willing to pay the price for it, I, I tip my hat. Him
0: for that. I admire that. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, Novak explained uh, why he didn't take the vaccine in, a, in the sense that, uh, and I think we actually were spot on when, when we at first discussed Novak's vaccine hesitancy. I think we kind of theorized that this is someone who is intensely particular about what he puts in his body. And indeed, Novak brought that up when discussing his decision-making process and ultimately uh, said, look, I am fearful of the potential negative side effects. This isn't about, I don't think it's effective uh, against COVID. This isn't about any of that. It's about, I am afraid of what might happen long-term and short-term and actually framed it as a tennis thing as well, which I found interesting.
2: Well, it's interesting when the guy who is fully vaccinated just tore through the Australian Open and held up really well, <laughs> despite being older. So maybe if Novak, I mean, this is just hypothetical, but maybe if he's on a journey toward acceptance of the vac- this vaccine, maybe that will be one small thing in its favor, you know, that, that Rafa and other athletes have done it and they seem to be okay. But That being said, you know, like, I understand on some level. I I do understand. My mom reminded me last night when we were talking that there was a drug back in the 1960s and 70s that was given to pregnant women for morning sickness. And it turned out that it caused birth defects. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was drug that was prescribed. Doctors gave it to you. There was this trust there. But it took about a decade for us to figure out that that wasn't a good idea. Thank God we know more now than we did then. But for people who are vaccine hesitant, um, let's just say that there are some things that I can relate to. Now, for me, ultimately, I think the data shows us that COVID itself is uh, a big concern. And so is long COVID. And so for me personally, I'll just go ahead and say, I made the choice, even though it was a difficult one, to become fully vaccinated.
0: Keep an open mind and that he would, you know, continue to kind of monitor the information available. My feeling is that like you just described, Amy, when new information comes out about a drug that has been out for over a year or a vaccine that's been out over a year, and has been analyzed and explained, and all that information. If any groundbreaking information comes out in the future, it's probably not going to be good news, right? Uh, so, uh, is that is that? Are we willing to say that? I mean, I it's, that's
1: I don't know. If that's necessarily true. I don't. I mean, well, look, look, no so, news,
0: no news is good news. Is kind of where I'm coming no, from. No, no. Right?
1: See, okay. No, I'm gonna I'm gonna look at the the world of announcements again. I'm not a scientist, yeah. but there might be some other things. They're going to learn. They're going to be some more things about from from what's learned from these variants, from what's learned from being vaccinated, from what's learned from booster shots, from what's learned about the efficacy, from what might be a need for a fourth shot. Um, a whole bunch of things that we're learning. I mean, I mean, imagine being a scientist now in this world of of researching this stuff and understanding this stuff and who gets affected and who's more likely to get long COVID and what what how are your antibodies, if you've already had it, what if you've had it twice as Novak has. Does twice confer you more immunity than Rafu had it once? What are we, what are we get at COVID a third time? Is a third time the anti-charm? So I think there's a whole, okay. it's good and bad. There's lots of things, there's lots of things that are gonna be learned. And, and I think uh, at the same time, I think Novak has some pretty operating system set beliefs on this. I appreciate that he wants to say open, but I think open doesn't mean like on second thought, I think I'll take it. It's more like on second thought, I'll think more about maybe taking it.
0: I just, I guess, and Joel, you might be right and I might be wrong on this. I'm, I'm not imagining the, the breakthrough that will occur that is going to make Novak change his mind in the near future. I'm not That's a
1: different that. question than if news comes out of it, whether it's good or bad. If you're only looking at it from a, from a, I want to see Novak, if your only question is, when do I get to see Novak play at a Grand Slam next? That's the, that's that's the that's what the that's okay. a certain kind of question. The broader question about what we learn from news about this stuff and what Novak learns, I guess we'll see. We'll see, and we'll see how these events and uh, and which events he might need to see, he might end up skipping on his path to which events he can end up playing. I mean, it is going to be one remarkable calendar for him in 2022.
2: Could we discuss um, the possibility that? He may actually play these slams Um, the the mandates may be lifted and and how do we feel about that, or maybe he it won't happen in time for RG but maybe he'll make his big comeback at Wimbledon, you know, and what about the time off and what about these other players that are continuing to compete in the interim.
1: that's the really interesting part. Looking ahead, I mean, where does he play? Where does he not play? Is he playing this event this week? Or what about that event next week? He's going to be playing in Dubai soon, but it doesn't appear that he's going to be able to play in Indian Wells and I don't and Miami also. So then you go to Europe again. Again, how he how he manages his calendar and his timing around all of these protocols will be interesting, right? What changes for better or worse in other countries? is there a variant? Is there a surge? Is it lower? Do do rules change? That's really interesting.
2: Interestingly, Gil, I read something that Monte Carlo has this strict, 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 you must be vaxxed. Novak lives there. I mean, a lot of his year or whatever, part-time resident. Um, For him and and any practices there all the time for him not to be able to play in that tournament would be pretty tough
1: yeah you can't even play in the local club tournaments so- I, I, I
0: do think I do think he's he's missed it plenty in his career though I don't think okay. it's one of the I don't think it's one of the stops that he's like always at um uh, because it's it's also the the only 1000 event that's not mandatory but but that I think that's interesting I'd, I'd love to know why that is because you're right Amy it would make sense that he would always play that
1: um well but that's always been the first remember novak's been a pretty dedicated indian wells miami guy over the years and monte carlo is usually the first stop on the clay not always a mandatory thousand and then you know looking i mean that's that's it's a pretty long stretch of spring clay tennis so it's sometimes not always worth playing
2: So the question I think is, does he skip the entire clay season? If he can't play Monte Carlo and, and, you know, who knows about the tournaments in Spain, then is it, and and he can't play Roland Garros. Does he just take the clay season off?
1: Maybe he does. I,
0: I think it's helpful. I mean, in general, I think it is helpful to get out there and you want to feel like you're training for something, even if it's not for, a slam. Uh, I did, I did think it was, it was great to hear why Novak says that he still plays, right? He said, it's my connection to the child. Uh, it's still the four-year-old who loves to play this game and pick up the racket. Uh, I really liked that. Uh, I thought that was, uh, that was cool to to hear from him. Just, you know, I guess that's a question that's not asked enough to these players. Hey, why do you play?
2: Yeah. And Medvedev, that came up very in a relevant way with the medvedev post-australian press conference where he said i'm not going to play for this reason anymore i'm going to play for this reason now of course that could be in the heat of the moment and it was but you know i i'm glad you picked up on that gill because i was thinking about it at like 5 30 this morning thinking basically with what novak has said in this interview he doesn't play for the money or for the success or for the records or any of that the reason that he plays is because of his passion for the game and i thought wow he and i are the same in that way because i certainly don't play for the money or the accolades i play and i do all this stuff and i rearrange my life for the passion for the game. So it was kind of cool on that level, thinking that when it comes right down to it, here are two people that play for the same reason.
1: Well, and I think it's interesting, the journey of the pro tennis player. I mean, I think there's the, there's the ascending when they're a junior and getting good and enjoying it. And then there's kind of, they enter into the, the outcome-based world of accomplishments and getting things done. And it was like, look, Novak has a he has at least 20 trophies that give validation to him playing for the passion. So when you've accrued that many results, it's funny. It's just funny. The language of tennis is like, some, well, he's reached a stage doesn't have to prove anything anymore. Well, what do you have to prove in the first place? What do we have to prove? What does anyone have to prove to anyone? All this language that enters the world and playing for the pure love of it. And, and I don't, I'm just for me, I'm just playing for me. Well, who were you playing for anyway? I mean, there's just all this kind of, I think it's a lot of his crap. There's some of his <laughs> language that gets kind of tossed. It's like being at a White House press conference. I mean, it's just kind of language. Yeah. But he well, yeah, he sure and I and I hope I hope he does, but he's also got his integrity about his body and what he believes keeps him healthy and how he's gonna how he's gonna manage that. I don't know. I hope he's playing practice sets.
0: Yeah. Well uh, by the way my follow up hmm? my follow up to Novak would be did that change? Because he certainly needed to provide for his family at the beginning of his career. And the money was very important. And he's talked about how he couldn't fail. So I think he would say, yeah, it's changed because I've achieved all these things. And now that doesn't matter. My family's set for life. I'm set for life. So now it's different. Um, So that would be an interesting follow-up. In terms of the long-term kind of tournament schedule, I think what's important here is exactly what i just said the long term covid restriction trends and we all hope so deeply that the rest, the worst of restrictions are behind us the worst of the virus is behind us and that i'm talking to in you know in a year from now two years from now three years from now it's all going to be going the the direction that we want it to be going which is easing of, of the restrictions based on on the way the virus is acting. You know, in the short term, it might be kind of crazy. It might be like, okay, what's happening this week? What's happening next week? Uh, what's going on with Roland Garros? What's going on? But I think it's, you know, the hope is that next year, the year after, that's when we won't be concerned with this. But if if long-term it doesn't go away, that's where it could hinder literally the trajectory of the rest of Novak's career. And that's the distinction.
1: Well, and remember when you're number one, you don't just get to park. It's not a parking space. You just get to sit there and be number one. I mean, lots, it's it's a never ending escalator and people I don't are moving. Think, I don't
0: think, does he care about being number one anymore? I don't think no, so. I don't,
1: I'm not talking about being number one. I'm talking about winning slams. I'm talking, I mean, I'm talking about skill. Your I skill, so. your skill, Your your competitive distinction doesn't just sit there like a parking space, which number one, whether it's the 20 slam champ guy, because other people are, are improving. Other people are improving. Other people are competing. Other people are, are doing their homework and, and, and playing a lot. So it's not like Novak. Yeah, he probably will, of course, then you reach the stage of your career. It's not about the ranking anymore. It's not about the ranking. It's about the, it's not even about tournaments. It's about the enjoyment. It's not even about the majors. It's just about competing. You know, all this stuff that they, that they all like to say. And Novak, of course he probably he wants to win more majors, but it's not, it's not so easy to just say, well, I'm just gonna not play. I'm gonna skip this, I'm gonna skip that. That's not gonna happen. I'm gonna wait to see what the protocols are in this country. And I think he's you know, looking to see what all that is. And that's a lot of, uh, that's also a lot of stress. I mean, it also makes the whole pro tennis world stressful because all these players are grappling with all these protocols and testing and travel and airplanes and masks. Great
0: point, Joel. Is uh, is Djokovic racing against someone who's improving very, very fast like the youngest players in the world, the youngest, brightest, like a Carlos Alcaraz, Amy?
2: Yeah, Joel uh, and and Gil, you guys and I exchanged some texts yesterday about Alcaraz and just how phenomenal he is and how he has these gifts and he's only 18 years old. And he's one of just a... One, two, three, maybe three players that I think would be concerning if you're somebody who, as Novak says, wants to play for many, many more years. So I think for Novak in the medium term, you know, the next few years, I think his concerns would be age. It's a concern for everyone. Um, It would be time away. Is the time away good thing? Is it a bad thing or is it neutral? And then the biggest concern is the people behind you. And, And I actually think that Roger and Nadal have shown that the time off can be good and that the age isn't as big of a factor as you think it is, but it's the guys that are behind that may ultimately force his hand in some way.
1: Well, we're going to see how good those guys keep getting and they're going to keep competing and they're going to be defining what contemporary pro tennis is and Novak is going to have these, uh, these exiles. Doesn't mean he can't come back and win these tournaments, but it's just, it's an interesting thing. I think, yeah, Federer and Adal each won these redemptive Australians at 35 after taking time away. And Adal has had numerous mini breaks because of injuries and things. And uh, I don't know, we'll see. I and mean, we'll see what these, uh, what these styles are too. know what these playing styles are how these younger guys play what they bring to it whether the young guys but also the people like like zverev and medvedev and all these other ones too and how they keep how they keep improving and how they keep and they keep and how they keep winning because just think about it we're going to have um you know we're going to see you know we're seeing fewer when are we going to see all the big three at the same event again competing
0: I, I, I think it's going
1: to happen again.
2: I, I, I think maybe Wimbledon, you know, right. it's, it's possible. It's possible. That right. may be Wimbledon, the last so, one.
1: So here's a scenario in Wimbledon. Novak, his first major of the year. Roger, his first major in a year. His Rafa, last major
2: maybe ever.
1: Roger, uh, Rafa, his third of the year, possibly having won the first two, but maybe a little tired. I mean, that's just an interesting, interesting picture. It's a fun picture to think about. Mm-hmm. We'll come up with some drawings for it. <laughs> <laughs> the
0: twists and, and turns that would be present in that drawing uh, would uh, loom large because man, this, this story, it, uh, it continues and just the, the entire uh, chronology of, uh, of the slam race now continues to take new twists and turns. So that'll do it for this episode of three Novak in Dubai next week. Remember, we're available on all podcast platforms. We greatly appreciate it. If you leave a rating and a review on Apple and Spotify. And if you're watching on YouTube, like comment and subscribe. We'll see you next time on the next episode of three.